0: This series contains adult language and descriptions of graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised. Cavalry audio. Hello, and welcome. To Death by Southwest, the podcast where each week I share a different grisly murder story unique to the American Southwest, while my sister and co-host tries to piece together the clues and unravel the mystery behind each of these heinous crimes. I'm your host, Margot, And I'm Jenna. And today we are on episode 19. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> so on today's episode... We're going to take a deep dive into one of the most heinous crimes of the 20th century. This spine tingling murder story from the 70s left two people dead and two severely injured, and has even been compared to the Manson murders in terms of its brutality. We'll uncover the twisted tale of excessive wealth, passionate adultery, and cold blooded killings that have remained a mystery for decades. Brace yourself for a roller coaster of emotions as we unravel the chilling details of this unforgettable murder mystery. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it
1: <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail.
0: From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back. I'm excited. I'm really excited for this one. I don't know why I had found this story. Well, do you
1: know why because I wanted to ask you earlier but I didn't want to ask you because then it might have divulged something that maybe you know I didn't want to know. Do you know why this one feels different or more exciting even
0: if you can't tell it? Tell me I, l- I like a 70s yeah. story yeah and it just I think I've said this before. It feels rude a little bit to say this because these are real people's lives. However, it does really play out like a, like a movie. Like I could see this and maybe it has, I actually didn't look that up. Maybe it has been a movie or a documentary at some point. It was, it was pretty huge when it happened back in in the seventies. There's just something very, it's just a real story. It's kind of a double-edged sword because it was so long ago. On one hand, it's tough to find information because a lot of information, obviously, in the 70s wasn't digitized. Right. But also, there is, at the same time, a lot of um, very kind of creative articles about it. It's not just, a lot of the articles I found weren't just straightforward, like, this happened, this happened, here's the facts, here's the, they were turned into this kind of larger-than-life story, which is a fun story to tell, and I hate to say fun but it is it's kind of an interesting story to tell well also
1: there's been more time i guess decades for people to discover new things or write new articles come up with new whatever theories all the things yeah
0: right it just feels like a kind of a larger than life story so hopefully i do it justice in telling it to you I'm, i'm really excited about this one needless to say cool before we get into our sense of place, so today's story, did I even say this in the little intro where it takes place? It takes place in- No, you Fort, didn't. It takes place in Fort Worth, Texas. And we. so we are going we haven't had one there. We're obviously going to do a sense of place. But before we get into that, I want to talk about two things. Um, one being the puppy, because everyone loves a puppy and I've posted about the puppy oh, yeah? on our social oh, media cool. a bunch because I figured- there's a a good amount of Tucson people who follow us on the on the our social media, so I thought that might be a good place to start in trying to find her owner.
1: Also, it just people like puppies, so maybe it draws more attention to our accounts.
0: I, I posted something yesterday or the other day, and I said I'm shamelessly using this cute picture of this lost puppy to catch your attention and get you to send us questions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I'm not above that. So the puppy for anyone who has kind of been following along the puppy is doing well and does not have a microchip Mm. and we have not found the owners. So I think Mark just inherited a new puppy. Possibly. Whoopsie. Whoops. (laughs) But Henry, my dog Henry and the puppy are are fast friends and i the puppy we brought the puppy to Jenna's house on Saturday and um her dog Pilot and the puppy were playing ish. Pilot wasn't terribly interested, but the puppy really liked Pilot. Pilot's never
1: they did well together is yeah. the the line because Pilot doesn't give a shit about any dog mostly. Yeah. Which is sometimes better than it's great giving a shit. Also sometimes if you want to see them play around. But the puppy played with pilot's big
0: um Stuffy.
1: stuffies mm-hmm.
0: and like whipped it around it was sweet yeah super cute so the puppy's doing well that's our puppy update and um and I did ask I used that picture of the puppy to ask for listener questions um we had one on the last episode and I actually I think I cut it I don't think I included it because the episode was a little bit lengthy as it was and so I cut that question out so maybe I'll stick that question here we're not going to re-answer it the question was what's been the most kind of difficult or upsetting case that we've covered and we talked about it yeah, at yeah. length yeah, yeah. so uh, maybe i'll put that in here so we also got um, a couple other questions we got a question from lobe four on instagram great question she said or he i'm actually not sure said have you ever had any family members of the victims in your podcast reach out to you and we haven't
1: i uh, you've reached out to cuz we talked about that like mm-hmm. i imagine many of the family members or close people to the victims may not want to respond or whatever but i think it's a sometimes a maybe always a good move to try and reach out if you have any contact info which yeah. often i imagine we don't i don't yeah,
0: yeah. when i do when I do find any kind of contact info, I do try to reach out. We have not though. And I don't know how I feel, but I, I don't feel any way about that. I would be, I would be super honored and welcome hearing from any um, victims or families or people involved families, but we haven't yet. So we'll see. Um, and then we got two more questions um, from Vicki L Boyle mm. and her first question is how do we be a guest on your podcast and I like that question I don't really have an answer I don't know um I mean we've talked about it I mean like
1: Mark has done a couple look up lists or right. popped in for this or that because he either I wasn't available or and or he was more of an expert on certain gun things yeah um yeah. So I think about that, you could be like knowledgeable about something, Mm -hmm. or just, I guess, in our day-to-day lives, which maybe that person isn't, or I'm guessing they're not. Right. Or, I don't know, I don't know, maybe one day we'll have a a special episode about listeners come on and do something.
0: Well, so on the daddy issues, which you know what that is, but Mm -hmm. maybe for listeners, uh, just brief explanation, is another podcast I produced um, with... Uh, Joe Buck and Oliver Hudson and we you know they interviewed their celebrity friends that was kind of the basis for the podcast but occasionally when we didn't have a celebrity guest they they were like well what should we do and you know they would talk to each other anyways uh, we occasionally did something called chat roulette where we would send out a, a zoom link and we'd let any listener who they want it was just an open link and people could click on it we'd say we're going to be on it this time and they would click on it i put it on twitter on instagram everything as many people as as many people as wanted to join and then I there was a waiting room on the Zoom. So Joe, me, Joe, and Oliver were on and then I would say to Joe and Oliver, okay, I'm letting in a guest. And I'd let them in for about, and I'd tell them before I let them in, you know, you got about six minutes, ask them whatever you want, talk to them, whatever. And so they would and then they'd leave. I'd let in the next guest. It kind of must have been a pain in the ass for the guests because they ended up kind of having to wait in line. Yeah, but if
1: they like Joe Buck or Oliver or you or the podcast, like right. it's worth the
0: wait, yeah. right? Yeah, it I was imagine. super interesting because it was more than just calling in. Like we were on, they were on, I was on video, but not, you couldn't see my face, but they were on video with these guests and they're, they're so wonderful and they were so cool, but it was really interesting to see these people interacting and asking questions and Joe and Oliver kind of like giving their advice on anything that these people asked, you know, family stuff, relationship stuff, or just talking to them. So that's something that we could do. Or I think, um, We've mentioned, I think I've talked to our our first listener who reached out to us, Sherry. I've talked to her. She said, like, she would love to be on a lookup list, just kind of like as you, like, just like like asking questions. Yeah, asking questions and just like, he, you know, she listens to every episode. So it kind of makes sense if there's a listener who listens to everything to have them on a lookup list because they'll know what I'm talking about and referring to. We could do the lookup list just like this on Zoom and have them Zoom in, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe not for the whole thing, maybe for part of it. So I don't know. If there's anybody listening, I guess the moral of this whole long conversation and answer to the listener question is, if there's anybody listening who would be interested in popping into a lookup list, I'm going to say I'm not comfortable enough yet with the actual episodes and telling these stories to have a listener on. Like I still get a little bit nervous. I wanna make sure I don't fuck up the story. I have to concentrate a lot during these. But during the lookup list, I feel way more relaxed. I feel like we could have a listener on there and it'd be fine.
1: Well, yeah, so like (coughs) in the nearer future, how do you become a, I'm just gonna shift that listener's question to how do you become a guest on the the bonus episodes? Exactly, so
0: I would say, I don't. E- I don't even know if that's something that anybody would want to do. But if it is, what's well,
1: well, an idea? And I put it
0: on the lookup list. List there you to go. Remember, DM us and let us know. And then the other question from Vicky L Boyle, and I'm not sure I understand this question, but I'm. I, I think it needs to be looked into. So, sh- so it says murders, dash, women of Juarez podcast on the horizon. I don't know, if, like, like ma-
1: Juarez, Mexico.
0: Mm-hmm. Like I'm wondering if that's like an idea that I think. She- sh- yeah, maybe she's saying like. Could that be...
1: An episode? An or episode? The way she put it to me sounds like, a, like whole podcast. a whole podcast, but either or.
0: Women of Juarez, like women who have been murdered in Juarez, that could be like a 10-part episode. Well, it
1: could be lots of things, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, of course that can be on the horizon, even just as an episode or...
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Okay. Well, Vicky, if you're listening, maybe like let us know, expand on that and let us know, and then we can see about making that happen. And... Mm-hmm just for for full transparency vicky l boyle is actually a friend hey vicky (laughs) we um i haven't seen vicky in years but we we lived next to each other in college here in tucson and have known each other for probably 20 years so even though i haven't seen her in probably 10 years um it's exciting i'm so excited that you listen to the podcast, Vicks. And uh, I went to her parents' Halloween party
1: mm-hmm. one year where we. Oh,
0: greatest Halloween party ever. Her par- Vicky's from San Diego and her parents are from England. Yeah, the I UK believe. UK somewhere. Yeah. yeah. And throw. Or through. I don't know if they still do like the most phenomenal Halloween parties. Really, really, really really fun. So, anyways, thanks for listening, Vicky, and thanks for your questions. And um, with that we will jump into our sense of place, which is Fort Worth, Texas. Tejas. Hmm. What do you know? Anything about Fort Worth? Uh,
1: Dallas-Fort Worth is the air, the main airport when I've flown into Texas that I fly into. I guess I've also flown into Austin, Texas airport, whatever that... Austin Bergstrom? Sorry. Wow. Um, uh, Dallas-Fort Worth, I believe. Uh, I know it's kind of in the northern, like central north or, or north central or northeast central of I Texas. actually
0: had no idea where Fort Worth was and I've definitely driven through there and I think maybe even probably not stayed there but on my way from Atlanta I I know I've talked about this a lot but from Atlanta to Tucson all the trips I've done um, it is right on the Fort Worth is right on the I want to say the the 20 which then becomes the the 10 so is it
1: but am I correct in saying it's north central to northeast
0: it is, it is northeast. It is on okay. the eastern well, side go. of Texas and towards the north. You're right, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: it wasn't that hard to answer that. It really wasn't. Okay. <laughs> it really wasn't. Um, yeah, because when you say northeast, you're talking about the state. Even if it's a wonky-shaped state, Here. yeah, compared to the rest of the state, it's northeast-ish, north-central, yes. northeast. Yeah, yes. okay.
0: Because there's that one little part of Texas that's like the upper part, like yeah. the little upper boot part, and that's where like Amarillo is. Mm-hmm but if but the majority of texas yes it is towards the northeast and that is a long answer so we don't know much about fort worth i guess i mean that i really it's in texas yeah it sure Um, is
1: um one thing i think i know and i could be totally off but is maybe this is just texas in general in my mind but they have like cattle rodeos there
0: Oh, you are on to something with that. And I'm going to tell you more about that. okay. But first, I'm going to tell you just some basics about Fort Worth. So we already determined with a very long-winded answer where it is in the state. The climate of Fort Worth, it is a humid subtropical climate with hot summers and mild winters. Occasionally experiences thunderstorms, hailstorms, and tornadoes are possible there. The highest recorded temperature was 115 degrees on August 11, 1936, and then again on June 26th, 1980. It is located in North Texas, about 30 miles west of Dallas. It's the fifth largest city in the state and is part of the Dallas-Fort Worth-Arlington metropolitan area. The elevation ranges from about 500 to 800 feet above sea level. Um, As of 2021, the estimated population of Fort Worth was around 927,000 people. So truthfully, I asked ChatGPT, I said, can you give me a general feel for Fort Worth? Mm -hmm. And this is what he, she, they, sorry, all you people who hate wokeness. um, Oh, that was too woke too (laughs) when you said sorry. Um, Here's what ChatGPT told me. Fort Worth is known for its Western heritage and is often referred to as the City of Cowboys and Culture. It has a mix of modern architecture and historic buildings, including the Fort Worth Stockyards, which features cowboys, cattle drives, and rodeos. The city has a vibrant arts scene with numerous museums, galleries, and music venues. It also boasts a thriving culinary scene with a variety of restaurants serving everything from Texas-style barbecue to international cuisine overall fort worth has a friendly and welcoming vibe with a strong sense of community and pride in its history and traditions sounds like a good old texas texas town and then i also saw saw something that said it's the country's largest small town which i like because i love a small town but to me isn't it a small city not a small town yeah i'm sure so i love a small town like i want to live in like gilmore girls town like I wanna live in like uh-huh. a town like where you can walk around the whole entire town in eight minutes and there's a town square where everyone gathers for to, events. And to me
1: that could be a small town or a suburb town. Sure. Like I think about places I've been in Seattle where it's like you can walk out your, your house, whatever your apartment, and it's, it's a full little town. And then also you could walk Thirty minutes, and you're in the heart of Seattle. So, like, sure, I, I didn't mean to bring up the Pacific Northwest. Oh, but I can't help it. Sure, did mean (laughs) to. You meant to.
0: Okay, well, let's move on to learn a little bit more about Fort Worth beyond the basic things that we just talked about. Fort Worth was once known as Cowtown. Because it was a major center of the cattle industry in the late 1800s. Today, Fort Worth continues the cattle connection with a free, twice-daily cattle drive in the Stockyards National Historic District. At 11.30 a.m. and 4 p.m. each day, Texas cowhands drive a herd of Texas longhorns down Exchange Avenue. Hmm. Every day? Every single day as a tribute to the city's cowboy heritage. I mean, that's dope and also the cows and and also what's going to
1: happen to the cows anyway. So at least they get a little air.
0: Yeah. This cattle kind of drive or whatever goes down through the stockyards National Historic District and the Fort Worth Stockyards were established in 1866 and were once the largest livestock market in the world. Um, the historic Stockyards Hotel in Fort Worth was one of Bonnie and Clyde's hideouts, hmm. and is now one of the considered one of the city's most haunted spots. And you know I love a haunted mm-hmm. spot, so that makes me like I want to visit that. That's super cool. Uh, let's see. It was Fort Worth was awarded the 18th best city for Hispanic entrepreneurs by Fortune Magazine in 2018. Fort Worth is also home to the world's largest honky-tonk. Do you know what a honky-tonk is? I was just going to ask you that. I got there first. Um, I don't know. Uh, like I, A honky-tonk needs to think like of a bar with line dancing. Yeah, like a honky-tonk bar. Yeah. So... Um, the dictionary, Oxford Dictionary tells us that it is a cheap or disreputable bar, club or dance hall where country music is played. What is disreputable? Like not respectable. Oh,
1: huh. well those are my favorite kind of places. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they are. <laughs> well, then you would like Billy Bob's Texas, which is the world's largest honky tonk and can hold up to 6,000 people. Nope. Oof, too I big. wouldn't like it. Yeah, too big. Too big.
1: Also, I'm not you know, I'm a fan of
0: disreputable bars.
1: bars, more smaller in size. But also, um, I don't know, the music at a honky tonk may not be my thing.
0: Country. Yeah. Look, thank you. <laughs> I like older <laughs> country, only very select individuals. So Then you might like the fact that singer-songwriter John Denver graduated from Arlington Heights High School in Fort Worth. Is John Denver like an old-timey country or that no, like? no. To me, he's not. Who's the one that Michael always puts on or Mark or Garth whatever? Brooks? Or um,
1: the guy that touched me up to here?
0: Yeah. You're going to have to explain touch me up to here. Because <laughs> I know we're on well, video, but that sounds bad well, on Let audio. me also
1: first think of his
0: George Strait.
1: Thanks. Oh, yeah. We went to George Strait in like 2012 or something and got decent seats. And then at the end, it was like, I just elbowed my way up like I like to do. And I put my long arm out and George (laughs) Strait grabbed me by the hand and raised me up to my elbow. There you go And I was open and willing for that Yes John Denver Take me home Country road I yeah. like that song And, and then do Leaving like that on song. a Jet Plane And Leaving yep. On
0: a Jet Plane There you go So he I is But he's not like
1: It's more like Rock and roll Slash country to me But Okay
0: I like that I yeah. like both of those songs Wow we both just sang a little bit That's a first And will never happen again huh. I never say never There you go. Uh, All right. Well, my final fact is that Fort Worth has nine sister cities. And so I want to ask you, what do you think a sister city means? Well, you had
1: mentioned this earlier without telling me what it was. Mm You had just kind of been like researching and I'm all, oh, oh, sister city. I thought first of Dallas, you know, Dallas-Fort Worth Airport. But I don't know. Okay, so a sister city. All I know, I'll be transparent. I heard you say something in Europe. There's a mm-hmm. city, a sister city of Fort Worth. My thoughts are, is it a city that matches in population, in uh geographical size or elevation, or the same sort of cultural events? <laughs> That's all I got.
0: Okay, so you're not far off. So a sister city in honestly, Wikipedia gives the best most concise definition to me it says um a sister city is a form of legal or social agreement between two geographically and politically distinct localities for the purpose of promoting cultural and commercial ties which is a very straightforward that's helpful yeah i think it's really helpful so fort worth has nine of them what are they reggio emilia italy nagaoka japan trier germany Bangdong Indonesia, Budapest, Hungary, Toluca, Mexico, Mbem, Mbe- Mbe- Eswatini, Giang, China, and Nimes, France. Yeah, those... Wait, I-
1: okay, how many cities did you say there?
0: Nine. No, no, those last two when you said... Oh, Ooh. okay. Mbem, 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 Mbe- <laughs> Eswatini. <laughs> okay. Mabain Eswatini. Which is what country? Eswatini. Okay. And Guiyang, China. G-U-I-Y-A-N-G. Guiyang. Oh, well, it's I on I don't the, know if that's how you say it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, clearly. <laughs> yeah, so that's my sense of Place, which I I don't. I'll be completely honest. I don't necessarily have like a real. I don't even personally have a real sense of place of Fort Worth at this point. It's a cow town, a big city, but kind of has a small town vibe. Lots of museums. Maybe that's all. I mean, not that that's all there is to know, but like maybe yeah. There's that's it. Also, sometimes I think there is a benefit in not oversharing for each city because undoubtedly we'll have another Fort Worth sometime in the future, and maybe we need to have some some things that we didn't share in this one you know sure yeah so there you go that's our sense of place and with that we are going to jump into this episode 19 which i didn't even say the victims it is the murder of stan Farr and andrea wilborn let's get into it
1: Don't miss what happens next in today's episode. We'll be right back after a short message from our sponsors.
0: Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. So to really understand this story, we have to first kind of understand the characters and a little bit about who they were and how they were all connected before we get into the actual murder story. Sure. So we're going to start with somebody named Colin Davis. His full name was actually T. Colin Davis, which stood for Thomas Colin Davis. And he was born on September 4th, 1933 in Fort Worth, Texas. And he would eventually grow up to inherit a substantial fortune from his father, who made his fortune in the oil and gas industry. So Cullen's father was Ken Sr. He had the nickname Stinky. Hmm. Don't know why. He was born in 1895 uh, from Pittsburgh, and he only completed school up to sixth grade and then eventually became a World War I pilot and then moved to Texas and worked as a laborer for Mid-Continent Supply. And within several years, he moved up in that company, purchased the company, and expanded it to be very successful and then to build, buy other businesses. And he ultimately became a very wealthy, wealthy businessman. And as as wealthy as he was, he was also equally disliked. One of his employees said he was the meanest man i ever knew that son of a bitch was a bully wow yeah another worker said uh he was gruff abrasive he used to call me boy and i was a korean war veteran and so those are just little anecdotes about cullen davis's father Mm -hmm. ken senior flash forward to when cullen his son ken's son is an adult in the 70s and he was considered one of the richest men in America Um, uh, known as a Texas oil man and a businessman. He was the president of multiple companies and he gained a lot of notoriety for his high profile relationships, ongoing legal battles, in regards to his businesses, which is to be expected, I guess, with a high power businessman, and for being worth an estimated two hundred and fifty million dollars.
1: And this was—you said Cullen was born in the thirties or something. Thirty-three. So, like, this was in the fifties, sixties, seventies. Yep.
0: Yeah. Worth how much million? Two hundred and fifty million. Wow. Yeah. yeah. He apparently didn't have a very flamboyant personality, but he was very proud of being wealthy and he there was a quote that said that he wore his wealth like a suit of armor it was kind of part of who he was which when you're that rich I can't imagine that it's not part of who you are does that mean he dressed very yes okay yeah he dressed not flashy But just... But expensive. There you go. Yes, yes. He was known to possess a very competitive nature in all aspects of life. He was characterized by by people that were his opponents, both in just in life, in relationships, in games, and in business. He was characterized as someone who derives greater pleasure from winning than from the game itself.
1: What do you derive greater pleasure from the game Definitely the game.
0: Yeah, I don't care about winning. Yeah. At all. When it comes to the lottery, I care about winning, (laughs) but I'm not a competitive person. (laughs) Um, So, Cullen was apparently not a fan of team sports where the mistakes of one person could result in the loss for the entire team because all he cared about was winning. So, he married his first wife in 1962. She was a popular woman in Fort Worth named Sandra Masters, but it didn't last long. And he later admitted that. Even though he cared for her very much, he married her more because everyone else liked her, rather than because he was in love with her. What most people thought is that he really wanted someone more beautiful, more. And she was a lovely woman, but he wanted someone who stood out, who was flat, like, like flamboyantly beautiful. But
1: still, that's marrying someone not because you
0: are in love with them, right? I don't but, think he cared that right, much right, about right, that. Right, right, I think right, he was yeah. looking for. Someone to have on his arm who turned heads that he also could get along with. And so
1: what's her face? Sorry, not what's her face. Sandra. Sandra did not turn heads like he wanted heads to turn. I believe so. Got it. Correct.
0: He, after him and Sandra kind of realized this wasn't going anywhere. They didn't, I don't think at this point they were officially split up, but they were heading in that direction. And that's when he found someone named Priscilla Wilborn. Now, Priscilla who was born in 1942. She was born Priscilla Lee Childers. She was raised in a very poor family, but she grew up to be so beautiful, petite, blonde, big boobs. So like the traditional beautiful of Americans? Yes, exactly. She ended up attracting over time a lot of the richest men in Texas, even though she wasn't necessarily part of this kind of elite society in Fort Worth.
1: Right. She didn't have to be. Right. Her looks brought her there. Yes, exactly.
0: A little bit about Priscilla, and a lot of this is taken from an interview, um, an article that had an interview with her in a magazine called D Magazine. It's a little bit choppy, but hopefully, collectively, it'll kind of give you an overall picture of her. So in an interview, in this interview, she said, I didn't know my father. He forgot to do two things. He forgot to come home, and he forgot to send a check. Hmm. I do know that he was a geologist and a rodeo rider. I've seen pictures and he was gorgeous. Cherokee and French. Mm. Mama was English and Irish. And I guess that makes me a Heinz 57.
1: Meaning an amalgamation of a lot of flavors. Right. Yeah.
0: So at the young age of 16, Priscilla apparently married somebody named Jasper Baker, who had just returned from overseas. She said, you know, he was just out of the Marines and all the girls were after him. It didn't last. Jasper didn't understand that you're supposed to quit dating after you get married. (laughs) I found out about him and this 24-year-old car hop. um, And she said, I couldn't believe it. To me, she was an old woman.
1: Uh, The woman he dated around
0: with was 24. Right. And and Priscilla was only 16. Right. So, of course, 24 is an old woman. Totally. Yeah. 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 But they um, apparently had a baby together, six-month-old baby at this point. She left him, and she decided she was going to head west and go for California, see if she could make make it out in California. And she couldn't. She left Fort Worth for California with her
1: baby mm-hmm. in tow, and mm-hmm. ended up what coming back? Yeah.
0: yeah. So she got she she actually ended up hitching a ride back to Houston with a friend. And um, about two jobs and 10 months later, she then was married to a Houston used car dealer named Jack Wilborn. They eventually moved. That's how she ended up in Fort Worth was from being with Jack Wilborn. Their story eventually took them to Fort Worth because Jack was gradually moving up this kind of financial stepping stones and into Fort Worth in the social scene there. Mm -hmm. But... After a few years, their marriage kind of started to falter. And around this same time, the marriage of Cullen, who we just talked about, and his wife at the time, Sandra, was also faltering. And this article that I read said it was both of their marriages were faltering for a similar reason, which I think is really interesting. And this is a direct quote. It said, neither Cullen nor Priscilla had ever been allowed or allowed themselves a childhood. For diff- for very diff- for different reasons. Cullen was brought up in this very wealthy family. He there was a lot expected of him. Priscilla was brought up in a very poor family. Her dad wasn't there. She had to take she on a
1: parental a, role perhaps right. for if she had, she had siblings. a baby in like 16, yeah, 17. That true. Yeah. Right.
0: So uh, this article said they neither of them had ever fully grown up and now they felt like playing. So Priscilla recalls meeting Cullen. So they're both still married. Cullen is married to Sandra. Mm-hmm. Priscilla is married to Jack, Mm -hmm. and Priscilla and Jack went to the Ridgely Country Club in Fort Worth. Mm. So this is a quote from Priscilla recalling her first meeting of Cullen. She said, I played tennis doubles against Cullen and Sandra. We slaughtered them. I saw Cullen the next day at the Colonial Golf Tournament. He kept walking in front of me all day long, and in the afternoon, he asked me to join a group at his table. After that, we dated a few times, but he always seemed to want to be discreet about it. We'd always go to Dallas to see each other. So at this point, like their marriages are kind of breaking up.
1: Right. Okay. That that was the face I made if you saw yeah. it. Like, okay, they were still married. And g- granted, sure, their marriages maybe were uh, disintegrate, disintegrating. But also that was like a strong the phrase rocks. of like, we dated here and there. That's why I made the face. Yes. Okay, and is she surprised that
0: he wanted to be
1: discreet and meet up in Dallas if they're both still married?
0: The timeline of when they met and when they decided they liked each other and started hanging out and actually dating or seeing each other, it's a little bit hazy. So they were both still legally married. Each of them went through... Uh, trial separations, moving out, moving back in, things like that. I'm
1: not judging. I'm just curious. Were they like sure on the rocks yeah, absolutely. yet still living together? Yeah. Also, still not judging. I don't care. Yeah. I just, that's curious because she sounded a little bit like, oh, he always wanted to be discreet. Discreet. And then, well, maybe he wanted to be discreet for other reasons too, which I may find out. I don't know what those are.
0: You may. Whenever she wouldn't hear from him for a while, when they were kind of like on and off seeing each other, she would call him and ask why. And at one point, she called him and asked why. And he said, I'm going to try to do it again with Sandra. I'm going to try to make it work. And Priscilla said, I wished him luck. And then he said to me, why don't we have dinner sometime? And I told him, no way. But several weeks later, that reconciliation between Sandra and Cullen failed. Mm. It wasn't going anywhere. They weren't going to reconcile. And so Cullen was now living at a place called the Green Oaks Motel and was officially... In Fort Worth? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. And was officially dating Priscilla again. Hmm. So he had moved out at this point. I believe that Priscilla was still living with Jack, but they were estranged, so to speak. This little anecdote that I found incredibly interesting, that in 1967, about to be 1968, they were both still married to their significant others, but not doing well, separated, estranged. And they decided to go to Acapulco together to ring in the new year for 1968. They went, they had a wonderful time, and they came back on January 2nd, 1968, to Fort Worth. And once they returned to the airport, they decided to head to the Green Oaks Hotel, motel, where... Um, Cullen was living. Exactly. Staying. Yeah. This is how the story goes. They got back to the hotel on January 2nd, entered the room, and both got undressed. Priscilla was fully nude, and they were becoming intimate when- That
1: sounded like a a way you didn't want to say it. They
0: were banging around. (laughs) Okay, they were becoming intimate, yes. When suddenly three to four men busted down the door, and flashbulbs from cameras started going off. Priscilla screamed and ran into the bathroom. Cullen yelled, you can't do this. What are you doing? Priscilla's in the bathroom with the door shut and locked, screaming, I'll call the police. I'm going to call the police. Suddenly, Jack, Priscilla's estranged husband, walks in and goes up to the bathroom door and says, you want to call the police? I'll give you the phone. Open the door. Moments later, Cullen's estranged wife, Sandra, walks in and said, Cullen Davis, you are a dirty son of a bitch. It turns out that the men who kicked in the door were private investigators that had been hired by Jack Wilborn. Of course, Priscilla had a very different account of the incident. She said, quote, we went to the hotel to the Green Oaks. I laid out on the bed to go to sleep. I was fully clothed and Cullen was in the other bed. He was just getting ready for bed. I heard this noise, and then there was this crash, and then there was tear gas. I ran up and started yelling at Cullen. He didn't know what was happening, and I told him, Cullen, call the police. I ran into the bathroom and locked the door. Outside, I heard Jack yelling, what have you done with my wife, you son of a bitch? Hmm. It was all so ridiculous. I mean, the divorces had already been filed for months. I mean, what was the purpose of this?
1: Not that I think the memories of two people or four people that were there at the same time could be that far apart but i do know that you and i or me and joe schmo or whomever can be on a vacation let's say together and remember things slightly or Mm -hmm. to quite different
0: whether priscilla's account of it or the other account of it was true this incident obviously accelerated the two divorces significantly and very quickly Priscilla was divorced from Jack and Colin was divorced from Sandra. Now and was they, this
1: Priscilla's second divorce or she yes. wasn't Okay, okay. Yeah. I'm and again, not jo- uh-oh, woke woke police are coming at me. <laughs> <laughs> woke
0: police. <laughs> yes, this was her second divorce and and so they were both divorced and now free to be together hmm. which they were and they moved pretty quickly planning to get married. They applied for their marriage license, and three days later, Cullen's father died on the day that they were planning to get married. And at first they thought, "Mm, probably should postpone. You know, he just died. We shouldn't do this. And then very quickly they thought, actually, let's just do it. Let's just go through with it. We've already planned it. We've already filed for the license. Let's do it. And then afterwards, we could focus on mourning you know, the, your father's death. Their marriage was apparently big news in Fort Worth because Priscilla, unlike Sandra, was not at all part of the kind of elite society that Cullen was part of.
1: Ah, so bringing someone new into the... Mix, right. essentially. Yes.
0: Oh. it created a lot of waves because women hated her, apparently, and men lusted after her. I mean, like a very quintessential, like cliche kind yeah. of um, story. But people who saw them together and knew them said that they were madly in love. At first, they lived a very wealthy lifestyle. Colin loved, apparently, showing Priscilla off.
1: Well, that's what he wanted a show her.
0: Right. And so the story kind of goes that sometimes in public, Cullen would walk a few steps behind Priscilla so that he could watch other men checking her out. Mm. One uh, person who knew them pretty well said, quote, now that I think about it, he treated her like a 1908 Ford. It was like everyone would like to have her, but he knew no one else could bother with the upkeep. Oh, I want to know more about that part, though. The upkeep. Yeah. Like, was
1: she challenging to keep up?
0: I think she took quickly to the very, I don't even want to say wealthy, lavish, very lavish, rich lifestyle. Right. So
1: that was the upkeep. Yes.
0: So, and I'm going to tell you more about that. I just have this one other quote that I think is so interesting. One other friend said, they were the perfect couple. She was the exhibitionist and he was the voyeur. Like he loved watching Uh, her be on display. Yeah. I think that this doesn't specifically answer what you just asked, but it kind of overtly explains it. So Priscilla once said, Cullen has only said no to me three times. Once in Antwerp, I didn't really ask for it, but there was an $85,000 pink diamond and he didn't let me have it. Another time I asked him to buy some property in Aspen and he didn't go for it. And once I bought some stupid, and he told me to take it back. I said, oh, come on, Colin, like I usually do. But he still made me take it back. And then he gave it to me for Christmas. He once told me that he was eight years ahead on our anniversary presents. Hmm. I mean, it got to the point of ridiculousness on furs and jewels. I'm not saying I've got jewels comparable to like Anne Tandy or some other woman, but I have a lot. And then a little bit more on their lifestyle. These are more quotes. This article was so amazing. These are more quotes from that D Magazine article that um, that Priscilla said about their life. Mm. So she said, I'd say there's a difference between being rich and being wealthy. Cullen and I were wealthy. When people ask me what I like best about being very wealthy, I tell them I like being able to go to any restaurant in the world and order whatever I want. And I like being able to pick up the telephone and call anywhere I want. Mm. She also apparently liked being able to do anything she wanted, which sometimes included some weird fetishes. Okay. Another quote from Priscilla says, "After we were first married, Cullen and I were in Mexico looking for one of those shows, you know, the donkey show.
1: Mm. We went I to knew one. You were going to say that.
0: We went to one of those places, and Cullen asked the man what kind of acts he had." The man said he had one act with two girls and one boy and another act with two boys and one girl. Cullen asked the man, what if I was one of the boys? So I said, well, what if I was one of the girls? Well, they started buttering me up because they knew I would be the deciding factor. Cullen asked me what I thought, and I asked him what he thought. He said if we did it, it would open up a whole Pandora's box. And I told him he was right. I wouldn't have done it anyway, of course. <laughs> I don't believe her, <laughs>
1: <know>. and also <laughs> good for her that she's open to n- new things. But yeah, donkey show, Oof, no, mm. thank you. You know what that is?
0: Yeah, I, I can't. I it really hurts my brain to go there. I don't like to. It, I it I. There's nothing almost that disturbs me more than that. There are things that do, but that is the most. Aside from hurting or abusing animals, <laughs> which I feel like that is a form of. I don't like it. Let's change. That's okay. I'm not, I'm not, I just, I just, I just hate it. I just really hate it. Nonetheless, it was said that Cullen was as reserved as Priscilla was flamboyant, which caused sparks to fly right from the beginning, the kind of opposites attract type thing. But those sparks eventually grew into flames, and those flames soon threatened to burn their whole relationship to the ground. And the thing that really seemed to fuel the fire that eventually burnt this relationship down was when Cullen decided to build Priscilla her dream home. A $3.8 million mansion built on a hill in the middle of 180 acres that partially bordered the 14th fairway of the Colonial Country Club golf course in West Fort Worth. The house took three and a half years to complete and was about 13,000 square feet with 11, 11 bathrooms, 5 bedrooms, which seems super disproportionate to me, by the way. It also had an indoor pool. Cool. Was Love court- an indoor yeah. pool. The pictures, I mean, oof, I'll post them. They're amazing. Indoor pool that had an attached game room with a foosball and pool tables and other games. The master bedroom itself was 2,000 square feet. That's the entire size of my house right now. So I took this quote directly from D Magazine because I think it is so spot on. So this house came to symbolize exactly what was happening in their marriage. Great loads of money were spent, but somehow the thing just never quite came together. This house was ultimately kind of the beginning of the end for this couple. You don't want to miss what happens next in today's murder story. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after a short message from our sponsors. Apparently, Cullen had quite a temper. And he had become pretty abusive with Priscilla, hitting her repeatedly during blowout fights that they would have, and even breaking her nose twice and her collarbone once.
1: Okay, whoa, that's a stark difference from what you said five minutes ago of his, and I get things progress in relationships or just in life, so that's mm. probably what happened here, I'm guessing. Progressed but like quickly. You said like he was the, I'm paraphrasing, you didn't say docile man, but like a, a reserved man, I reserved. think you said. I did. Someone, anyone could be in reserved. Public. Yeah, there you go.
0: Yeah. Behind closed doors, he had quite the temper. And when friends or colleagues would ask, like, how did you break your nose or what happened to your collarbone? She always had an excuse, a skiing accident, or I fell, you know, kind of just to paint more of a picture there. A quote from her said, I gave Cullen a pearl-engraved hand-carved pool stick for a present once. And one night we were at the Pink Elephant, and he lost more games than he won with that pool stick. But when we left, he started beating the stick against the curve and just totally demolished it. And his temper was apparently so bad that it wasn't just reserved for Priscilla. He apparently hit her eldest daughter, Dee, broke her nose once, and was said to have gotten so mad one night that he picked up the family cat and threw it on the floor so violently that he instantly killed it. Also, it's interesting.
1: That were both all the cat, not <laughs> the daughter. <laughs> <You know? laughs> also,
0: okay. So she had a daughter from her first marriage. She had a daughter D from her first marriage, from when she was young Jasper. teenager. Yeah, right. And then she had two more children from her second marriage with Jack. She had Jackie, who was her a son, and then uh, another daughter Andrea, who was her younger daughter. And you brought her up right in the beginning of this episode. I did. Got I it. I was it. waiting for us to <laughs> When you circle said around, D
1: I thought, Oh, maybe that's Andrea. No. But Andrea's Andrea.
0: Andrea's Andrea. Yeah. Okay. So by nineteen seventy-four, Priscilla and Cullen couldn't fucking stand each other. They hated each other. And the kind of last straw in their relationship happened on Priscilla's birthday in nineteen seventy-four. They apparently had a huge fight about jewelry that was missing. She noticed some jewelry missing from her jewelry box, and she accused him of taking it from her. He told her that it was in his office and it was going to stay there for a while. And she said, "Quote, I told him I was going to the office and if he didn't have my jewelry, I'd tear the place apart. He knew I'd do it, too." I went downtown and just left my car in the middle of the street. And then I ran into Cullen on his way downtown and he had the jewelry. And then there was a huge confrontation and she screamed, do you want a divorce? Well, you're going to get one. And Cullen said, that's all right. I've been there before. And she said, no, not like this. You haven't. She marched to the bank to cash a check that she had from him. The bank cashed that $1,500 check. And Priscilla said, I cashed it. And I said to myself, happy birthday, Priscilla. And her next move was to call attorney Ronald Altman. And she said, quote, I'd heard that if you're going to get a divorce, you should get a criminal lawyer to handle it. Altman was skeptical when Priscilla described the current state of her relationship. And he suggested a restraining order, which was filed. Eventually, a judge ruled that Priscilla could stay in the house and Cullen would have to pay her $5,000 a month. For expenses and out wow, money. That, That's a fair amount. Sure is. Back I mean, then. Even now, that's a fair amount. Yeah. They didn't have children together. They did not. They. The judge also ordered him to pay $25,000 in legal fees for her and to also pay for her medical bills, which were recently quite large because she had found out that she had two lumps on her left breast that were believed to be cancer the judge also ruled that Cullen pay her about $24,000 in random expenses that she was incurring by running the house. The itemized list ranged from a new car for her daughter Dee, to a $4,000 Neiman Marcus bill, to a $10 grocery bill from the Ray Polk grocery. So I mean, it just ran the gamut. It was everything. So over the next few months, while these two were separated, Cullen was paying quite a bit of money to her she was living in the house they both started dating reconciliation was not totally ruled out they had both talked about it she'd even gone i guess to visit him in new york on a business trip and they had supposedly slept together so there was some like talk of reconciling until priscilla met stan far stan far was six feet ten inches huge man He was described as a big teddy bear and just a very good, good man. He was around 30 years old when him and Priscilla met and started dating, and he was a former Texas Christian University basketball star. He once scored double figures in 14 straight games, which was apparently pretty rare. He was described as a very gregarious guy who loved going out and dancing and being at the nightclub. He was a manager of the Rhinestone Cowboy Club. Um he was a concert promoter and he dabbled in land business, selling land. And he in in his kind of like nightclubby going and being he was kind of a celebrity a little bit in in Fort Worth because this college, this university that he played basketball at was there. Texas Christian
1: and Mm-hmm. I imagine if you're like a part of a a big sports team you know collegiate sports team and you're 6'10 or whatever mm-hmm. 6'9 you're you hard, stand out yeah you're you're hard to miss right so if anyone's going to be a pseudo celebrity
0: he was that's exactly what he was he was a pseudo celebrity um he had a lot of close friends who were musicians in the texas music scene like i don't know who these people are but um rusty weir and david allen co what oh my
1: god david allen co sings one of my favorite songs that is like not one of my
0: favorite songs oh please come to boston oh yeah he was good friends with him he started dating priscilla they met and started dating and by the summer of 1976, he had moved into the mansion with her. They were spending a lot of time together, and they would occasionally bump into Cullen, Priscilla's ex, and Cullen's new girlfriend, Karen Master, no relation to his previous wife, whose name I believe is Sandra Masters. Apparently, Cullen's new girlfriend looked remarkably similar to Priscilla. And Cullen was was kind of becoming a popular social figure. He was, you know, very wealthy, obviously, at this point, but was continuing to try and build his social image in in this time, in the 70s, 76. So him and Karen, his new girlfriend, were often seen at high-end sports in Fort Worth, including the Colonial and Rangoon Racquet Club. And at one point, This is a weird anecdote, but at one point, Colin hosted a private screening of Deep Throat in a Winnebago at the Colonial Racquet Club parking lot.
1: What do you think about that? What are your thoughts?
0: That he maybe had like a few sexual kinks and was a little bit, you know, maybe on the outskirts of sexual, what's considered, you know, white bread, regular sex life. Like he was kind of like dancing around the edges of that. Perhaps? I don't mean that judgy. I just No mean, no yeah. no no, I
1: didn't think you did. I'm just thinking deep throat so like a screening of deep throat in his Winnebago.
0: Yeah. A little bit weird. Hmm. So apparently a lot of people thought that the that both of them, that Priscilla and Stan and Colin and Karen were both each couple was trying to kind of outdo each other in like our social public image of happiness like oh we're so happy i win i win we win we win exactly and and all the while kind of the divorce proceedings between priscilla and colin were increasingly acrimonious they were just terrible and priscilla was uh, apparently told friends that she had a she had a bad feeling she had a feeling that bad things were going to happen. She even hired um, extra security for the mansion. And in July, she contacted a private detective to investigate the security system, make sure it was working properly. Another friend said that Priscilla was having ominous premonitions. She just felt like something bad was going to happen. And on August 2nd, 1976, something bad did happen. If you want to find out exactly what bad thing happened next, you'll have to tune in next week to episode 20, part two of the murders of Stan Farr and Andrea Wilborn. Thank you guys so much for listening. And please leave us a review on Apple or reach out to us on any social media platform or email us. We love hearing from you guys. And we will see you later this week with a bonus episode. And then next week, for part two, the conclusion of this Stan and Andrea Wilborn murder. Uh, Since Jenna's not here, I'll say it for her. Good night and good luck. Hug your loved ones and we'll see you soon. Thanks, guys. Bye. And if you want to see pictures of the victims, the murderers, and any additional related images, head over to our Instagram right now. Our handle across all social media platforms is death, then the letter X, and then Southwest spelled out. So D-E-A-T-H-X-S-O-U-T-H-W-E-S-T. Death X Southwest. Death by Southwest is a Cavalry Audio production. Hosted by Jenna Schneider and Margot Carmichael. Produced by Margot Carmichael. Associate produced by Jenna Schneider. Executive produced by Dana Brunetti and Keegan Rosenberger. Audio editing and sound design by Revision Sound. Music by Soundstripe. And a special thanks to Edward R. Murrow for letting us borrow his famous sign off phrase good night and good luck.